What do you think about when you think about the word glory? Maybe you think about an athlete, like an Olympian, standing on a pedestal for all to see her receive that gold medal. Or maybe you think about a soloist taking the final bow to a standing ovation in a gorgeous concert hall. Or perhaps your mind is turned to royalty as you imagine what it would be like to be the queen, or if that's too far for your imagination, the king of England. Glory carries both responsibility and gratification. Glory speaks to the credits that someone is due. It acknowledges someone's value, their accomplishments, their character, maybe even the essence of who they are. The text that we come to today, on this Lord's Day, it points us to the glory of God in a doctrine called justification by faith alone. So if you have not done so yet, would you please turn your copy of the scriptures to Romans chapter 4. We're working through a mini-series on justification by faith alone. This mini-series is part of a, of a, greater, of a longer series, a larger series, to the book of Romans. I know I told you that at the beginning of the mini-series, as we started chapter 4, that we we're going to take five sermons to walk through chapter 4. Well, it's actually going to be six, and I know that surprises none of you. Romans is a beautiful part of the Christian New Testament. It proclaims to us the undeserved, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote a doctrinal masterpiece of the gospel of Christ. Now, quick reminder, we must not allow this, this doctrinal masterpiece uh, to the nature of this, this, this letter, this epistle, to cause us to think that it's impractical or disconnected from what we do this afternoon or tomorrow or next week. What we learn from doctrine changes how we live today, and it changes how we live tomorrow. It changes our life on this earth. There are six main divisions that we, have cons- that we are considering as we walk through the book of Romans. We've already looked at the priority of the gospel in the first 17 verses, and now we're, we're coming down the home stretch of the heart of the gospel, which is through the end of chapter 4, and we're talking about the righteousness of God. Now, now, we all need righteousness that is not ours. So this is what the, the gospel is, that we need God's righteousness because his righteousness is perfect righteousness. We don't have that. We need that if we are to be reconciled to God. So Paul unfolds this idea about the heart of the gospel through the righteousness of God being revealed through wrath. Uh, God tells us that, that his wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who try to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God's righteousness is revealed through wrath. The righteousness of God reigns with justice. It's for Jew, it's for Gentile. With God, he shows no partiality. And the last section of this, of this second division is that the righteousness of God is received by faith. And really, this is what, what Paul is just delivering over and over and over again through chapter 4, that, that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Here in chapter 4, Paul is teaching us about the foundational doctrine of justification by faith alone. Paul uses the Old Testament figure, Abraham, to, to teach us how faith in Christ is the way to God. We've considered the question of justification by faith alone. In other words, even Abraham, like Abraham, had to be justified by faith alone. We took two Sundays to consider the blessing of being justified 
by faith alone. And all the, the wonderful beauty of, and the, the benefits of being justified by faith alone. And then last week we contemplated the assurance that's provided to God's children through justification by faith alone. Today, we're taking up this idea of the glory. The glorious doctrine. The glory of God in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Would you please follow along as I read from God's Word, Romans chapter 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the faith, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has wherefore to glory, or something to boast about, but not before God. For what says the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debts. In other words, to the person who works, his wages are not, are not a gift to him, but they're, they're due to him. Verse 5, But to him that does not work, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. For even as David also describes the blessing of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, here's the quote from David, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute or count his sin. Paul asks a question now in verse 9. Comes this blessing then upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was, was counted or reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it reckoned? Was it when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, not, not after he was circumcised, but before he was circumcised, when he was in uncircumcision. And he received a sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be counted or imputed to them also. And the father of the circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but the promise was through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is made of none effect. Because the law works wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, here it is, that the promise might be sure or guaranteed to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made, you the, made thee a father of many nations. Before him, whom he believed, even God, who quickened or made alive the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. He called into existence things that did not exist, in other words. Verse 18 begins our text for today. Who against hope, talking about Abraham, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, God was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. This beautiful and foundational doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, could not be beautiful. It could not be beautiful if appointed towards our efforts, our character, our goodness, or our law-keeping, or our abilities in any way. Christian, this passage, it really puts a point on this foundational doctrine. It specifies the accomplishments of God. It throws all the attention back to God. It calls for the pedestal, for the standing ovation, and the crown to belong to God and to God alone. Christian, justification by faith alone is a testimony of God's glory in your life. Repent of self-glory and rejoice in God's glory. Let's observe three ways that we see God receiving glory through His children's faith. First of all, justification by faith alone is glorious because of its opposition. Justification by faith alone is glorious because of its opposition. There are hurdles. There are obstacles to faith. The opposition to Abraham's faith was great, but God was greater. Verse 18 says, Who against hope, Abraham against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which he was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in his faith, he considered not his own body when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. We don't know how Abraham was thinking when he was called in Ur or when he first went to the land of Canaan. We don't exactly know everything that was going through his mind. We don't know the exact details of how God changed an idolatrous man like Abram into a God-fearing child of God. But we do know that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Anybody can believe in God. James, the epistle to the, uh, James tells us that even the demons believe. But justification by faith is about entrusting God, trusting God for life and for death, trusting his promises, even when we cannot see how those promises could possibly be fulfilled. In hope, he believed against hope. God had made this massive promise to Abraham that there would be someone who would come from his line who would be the deliverer, who would come and be the one who would offer redemption and reconciliation that God had promised. And all of that was going to happen through Abraham's offspring. There was only one problem. Abraham was old. And that's precisely Paul's point. Abraham had hope, even though from the human point of view, there was no logical reason for Abraham to have hope. Yet he believed that whatever God said would happen, would happen. Can you imagine all of the things running through Abraham's mind as he considered the promise that God was going to give him innumerable descendants through a son? I mean, 
How does the primary care physician answer those kinds of questions? Well, Abe, once you hit a certain phase of life, becoming a father is no longer an option. You talk about awkward. So it wasn't as though the fulfillment of the promise was being opposed by something just, just a, a little problem, a little obstacle, a little hurdle to get past this. Abraham was about 100 years old. His body was as good as dead, the text tells us. Sarah's womb was barren. She was past childbearing years. It, was, it looked impossible from the human perspective. And in the face of all that opposition, Paul writes that Abraham did not weaken in his faith. Precisely because his faith was in God, the natural obstacles of, of being about 100 years old and, and a barren wife did not cause Abraham to doubt. He looked at himself, he looked at his wife, and it was hopeless circumstances. Then, he looked to the one who made the promises, and he realized that there was nothing hopeless about the situation. In fact, there was only hope. In hope, he believed hope, against hope, he believed the promise of God. The covenant of God with Abraham seemed impossible from a human perspective. Abraham was an idolater, but he became a child of God. If you and I would be honest with ourselves, justification by faith alone would seem impossible to us. I mean, think about it. The God, the one true living God of the universe, sacrificing his only son in order to rescue creatures who willfully rebelled against him. I mean, we rebelled. I hope you don't have any question about whether Romans chapter 3 is, is, is legit. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. Together, we have all become worthless. We have rebelled. God tells us plainly that because of our rebellion, there is death, eternal death, separation from God. How could God possibly redeem a people from that? Why would God do that? How could God do that? Does it seem impossible to you? Friend, God can save anyone. I invite you, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, I invite you to trust in the one, in his son Jesus, that God sent uh, his only begotten son Jesus to make a payment on a cross so that all who are trusting in that one, in Jesus, in that payment, would have everlasting life. I invite you to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved if you've never yet done that. But, if, but this goes beyond just justification. Noah believed that God would send a flood and wipe out all of life on the earth, so he built the boats that God told him to build. Gideon believed that God would give victory to Israel, even though Israel was dramatically outnumbered by the enemy. And Daniel believed that God would shut the mouths of hungry lions. Mary believed that she would give birth to the promised Messiah, even though she was a virgin. Christian, why should it be so impossible for you to trust God, especially in situations that don't even require a miracle? Listen, if, if he has defeated our greatest opposition for our justification, can he not also defeat all of the opposition in our sanctification? Christian, what, is, what, what opposition do you see to the promises that God has made? What seems impossible to you? Philippians 1.6 promises us that he will continue a good work in us. Do you feel like that promise is impossible for God to keep because you don't see a good work 
continuing for whatever reason? Or how about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where God promises to provide a way of escape, uh, a way of endurance through any temptation that is common unto man. Do you find that promise is almost impossible to believe that God will keep because the temptations just keep hounding you and you don't know which way to turn and you don't know if there is a way to persevere through that temptation? Or how about Jeremiah 29, 11, where, God, or where the prophet tells us that God has an expected end for us, that God has a plan for you. Do you feel that there's obstacles or hurdles in every step of your journey and that is God really going to keep that promise to me that he has this expected end for my life, that he's unfolding it just as he would? Or how about Hebrews 13, 5, where God has promised to always be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. You feel obstacles in your life? Or maybe you feel like God isn't present with you? You see, no matter which promise from God we consider, there's opposition to it. There's so much that God had to overcome in order to save us. And because only God can overcome that opposition, He receives the glory. He testifies that He is able to do what He had promised. Think about your justification. Everything about you opposed God, yet He justified you. You are surrounded with mortals and death, and yet God has victory over death and promises you eternal life. So the spotlight of victory over opposition shines brightly on the one true living God. Justification by faith alone is a testimony of God's glory in your life. Repent of self-glory and rejoice in God's glory. Justification by faith alone is glorious because it shows us, it points to how God has overcome the opposition. Secondly, justification by faith alone is glorious because of its opportunity. Note the process, the progress in Abraham. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to, to God. He grew strong in his faith. Paul describes Abraham as going from not weakening in his faith to growing strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. It was a process. That's an important observation for Christians in 2021. Abraham's faith did not stagnate. It was part of a process. So I ask you, is your faith growing? Is your faith standing still or is your faith growing? Abraham had initial faith, we know that, of uh, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But he kept believing, even in the face of opposition, and as a result, his faith grew strong. Justification by faith alone, it's just the start, friends. It's the entry-level faith. A few days ago, I was visiting one of Lancaster's fine dining establishments, it specializes in poultry and potatoes that look like small waffles. And they were, some of you are going to catch that later on, they were advertising new employment opportunities. They listed the starting hourly wages, what the rate would be, the benefits that were included, never having to work on a Sunday, amen. And the opportunity was for entry-level positions. Someone could be hired and then grow in their knowledge and experience, a new employee would have opportunity for growth. 
Abraham had an entry-level initial faith, but that was just the start. Paul tells us that the patriarch did not waver, he did not stagger. It means to discriminate or to make a judgment, to estimate. He did not argue with himself and was not at variance with himself. James says it this way, The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is an unstable mind, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Abraham wasn't being tossed by the wind and the sea. He did not waver. But be careful. The fact that he did not waver did not mean he had perfect faith. Sometimes we can read through Hebrews 11 and we can find it daunting. And we can find like, oh, I'll never be like Abraham. I'll never have unwavering faith. Just because he did not waver in his faith does not mean he had perfect faith. It means that he did not vacillate between, between faith and doubt. He did not go back and forth between believing God would or would not be faithful to the covenants. But listen to this narrative from Genesis, chapter 15, the first three verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give to me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household, my servant Eliezer, will be my heir. Abram was asking God some legitimate questions that were directly connected to the covenants that God had made with his servant Abram. These verses are not contrary to Paul's claim that Abraham did not waver. Rather, these Old Testament verses explain that the patriarch readily admitted to God that he could not understand how the divine promise of an heir, much less a multitude of nations, could be fulfilled. So Abraham is acknowledging this. God, I don't see how this is going to be fulfilled. The only heir that he could see was in his servants. But struggling faith is not doubt, just like temptation to sin is not sin in and of itself. This teaches us that it is possible to struggle in your faith without doubting God. It's not just semantics. Doubting God is not faith. Doubting that God will come through for you is not faith. But lack of understanding on how He will come through for you is a different story. So it's not that Abraham never had a single hesitation about how it would happen, but he never gave his mind over to if it would happen. Abraham had questions about, about how God was going to fulfill the promise. But the testimony, the, the, the recording of that, that Paul gives to us is that he did not waver on whether or not it would happen, whether or not God would come forward and come through on his promise. Abraham kept a single-minded belief that God would fulfill the promise. He was trying to understand how God's promise would be fulfilled. He was expecting fulfillment, looking for fulfillment, even though he could not see the way of that fulfillment. And that's how he grew strong in his faith. You see what's happening, Christian? We don't understand all of God's truth yet. We're still growing. We don't understand all of God's future plans for us. 
So as one preacher put it, godly faith is not full understanding, but full trust. Godly faith is not full understanding, but full trust. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We don't have to to have full understanding of the future plans of God. We don't have to have full knowledge of all the details of God's plan in order for us to trust him in this life. We don't have to know the how of it to believe the fact of it. No unbelief made him waver concerning God's promise, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. God is glorified as we trust him. If, even if we struggle to know how the details of God will fulfill the promise, but we, we, we believe that he will fulfill the promise, we grow strong in our faith. Now, I was thinking about this in regards to justification. We don't necessarily understand all of the details of salvation, especially from God's vantage point. Let me say it this way. We understand the necessary details, but there is still part that remains mysterious to us. For instance, can you explain how God's sovereign will and the free will of man perfectly intersect? That's okay. Keep trusting the promises that God made, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and that he who chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy predestined us for adoption of sons according to the praise of his glory. Both promises are true. We might not understand all of the how of it, but we understand the fact of it. One of the ways that Abraham's faith grew is through his observance of God's work. His own body was as good as dead, but he and Sarah experienced everything that was necessary in order for a child to be born. He was watching God at work, and God was strengthening his faith as Abraham observed. Friends, we watch all the time. We watch television, we watch YouTube, we watch social media, we watch other media, whatever the case may be. But we would be wise to watch God at work in the lives of others and in the lives of ours, in our own life. Take time to go back and look over your life. We do that sometimes at Thanksgiving, right? We set aside time and we thank God for how he's blessed us. Or at the end of a year, make regular times with God. Take a, take a time when your family's in transition, maybe uh, more than just at Thanksgiving or at the end of the year. Take a day with God each month or two and go and, and, and recount how God has been at work in your life. Watch how God is working in the lives of others. Missionaries, church planters. Read Christian biographies like Corey and Boone or John Payton or Amy Carmichael. Christians, see the opportunity of how God is growing your faith as you watch him do it in others. Another opportunity that we can see our faith grow and give glory to God is by studying God specifically, like his attributes. Your faith grows as you know God better. You know God better as you read his word. Christian, is your faith growing because you're faithfully, consistently reading God's word? We're a couple of months into the new year now. Some of you set some new goals and some new ideas, agendas for reading God's word, how are you doing? Do you, need a, do you need a little encouragement to get back into God's word and to avail yourself of the truth of the word that describes who God is so that your faith can grow, so that you can trust in the promises that God has made to you? 
Study the reality of God's character. That he knows all things. That he has all power. That he is just. He is righteous. That he is holy. You see the, 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 the beauty, the glory of, of being justified by faith alone. It points us to God's growing our faith to continue trust. Justification by faith alone is a testimony of God's glory in your life. Repent of self-glory and rejoice in God's glory. Justification by faith alone is glorious because of its opposition and how God overcomes the opposition. Justification by faith alone is glorious because of its opportunity that God provides to you to, to grow your faith. Finally, number three, justification by faith alone is glorious because of its object. Look at verse 21 again. And Abraham being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. He was able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. Abraham was fully convinced. Well, the only way that Abraham could be fully convinced was if this covenant was anchored to the all-powerful one. With all of that opposition to his faith, with the opportunity to watch God bring his purposes to fruition, Abraham became fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised to do. Have you ever been around a little kid that made a promise he couldn't keep? Hey, Dad, let me play with that tool. Let me do whatever. If I break it, I'll, I'll pay you back. I'll buy the tool. I promise I'll pay you back. And you realize you're not fully convinced because you know that that kid doesn't have a dollar to his name. Abraham served the God who could back up all the promises that he made. Abraham served a God who is able. And so do we. God is able. That is why Abraham could be fully convinced. God has the power and God has the, has the knowledge and God has the wisdom and God has the ability that is necessary to carry out all of the promises that he has made to us and only God has those abilities. God is unique. There is none like him. God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. The Lord will take the faith that he enables people to have and he will count that faith as righteousness. Faith doesn't provide salvation. Faith doesn't guarantee salvation. Faith doesn't earn salvation. Faith accepts salvation as from the gracious hand of God. So friend, live in dependence on God coming through for you and all of his promises. God is able. God possessed the power, the knowledge, the wisdom, the ability to do exactly what he promised Abraham he would do. If God can open up the womb of an old woman, if God can supersede the inability of man, if God can call into existence the things that do not exist, if God can give life to the dead, if God can grow your faith in the midst of opposition, if God can rescue your undeserving soul, then you can bet your bottom dollar that God can do all things. With God, nothing is impossible. You see, none of God's promises will fail because God has forgotten about you. None of God's promises will fail because your circumstances are too difficult for Him. None of God's promises will fail because he has changed his mind about a promise that he has made to you. None of God's promises will fail, ever. Just like Abraham, you too, you too 
can be fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised to do. You see, if Abraham's faith would have been in himself or in his own determination or in the depth of his feelings or in his abilities, then his faith would have weakened. His faith would have wavered because he would have failed. But Abraham's faith was in God who cannot fail. So Abraham's faith grew. You can trust him for your rescue. God is trustable. You can trust him because God is able. So I ask you, friend, who or what are you trusting instead of God? Justification by faith alone is a testimony of God's glory in your life. Repent of all self-glory and rejoice in God's glory. God is deserving of the glory. Just as his word tells us that the heavens declare his glory, our justification by faith alone declares his glory. God did the justifying in the face of great opposition in order to give us opportunity for continued growth in our understanding of him and in accordance with his unique abilities, God did the justifying. Christian, being justified by faith alone is glorious because it testifies that God has beaten. He has victored over. He has conquered all the opposition. Being justified by faith alone is glorious because God gives you opportunity to grow in your trust of Him. Being justified by faith alone is glorious because the object of our faith is God who is able to do what He promised. You see, justification by faith alone isn't glorious because of us. It's glorious because of God. All the spotlights of this amazing doctrine converge center stage on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Harvest Bible Church, let's keep looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. Let's step back in humility and acknowledge the one who can never fail in any of his promises to us. Let's not weaken in our faith concerning the promises of God. Instead, let us grow strong in our faith as we give glory to God. Let's pray.